0: We know that when your employees feel cared for, secure, safe, they'll thrive. And when they thrive, the clients will be well-served.
1: Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Martine Furlan. She's the CEO of Mercer, one of the world's largest human resource consultancies, and she'll reveal the blind spots companies can tackle for healthier and more resilient teams and workplaces. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lacina from the World Economic
0: Forum, and this is Meet the Leader we see health as tri-dimensional way it's, it's it's your physical health which everybody go to when you talk about health but it's also your well-being and your mental health and your financial health there's a huge connection between uh, being at least secure not stressed out and performance at work and ultimately your health. Blind spots. Great leaders know they're a risk in any climate, but their
1: impact can be especially great at a time like our own, where leaders are navigating a host of challenges, from rapid technological advancement to a potential economic slowdown. At January's annual meeting, I talked to Martine Furlong, the CEO of Mercer, about workplace blind spots and what leaders can do For instance, we all know how key workplace health benefits are to keeping individual teams resilient, but also for tackling big picture issues like chronic diseases and mental health. But Martine shared some insights from Mercer data showing programs are still struggling for uptake, in part thanks to long-held stigmas and even lack of awareness. She shared how data can help companies target their efforts to scale wellness for their teams and society as a whole. We also talked about big systemic shifts impacting workplaces, including the labor shortage, and how it's made it all the more important for workplaces to recruit and hire at the pace of change. It's also made it critical for leaders to rethink how they're reskilling their teams to make sure they're not overlooking certain profiles or certain backgrounds. She talked about all this, including a book she recommends that can give any leader inspiration during challenging times. But first, she'll get us started with the link between a company's wellness benefits and stronger, healthier societies.
0: We've seen with the pandemic, for sure, that health is critical to good work in a way. And therefore, looking at the linkage between providing safe environment and secure env- environment employees to work in really help employee concentrate on the work that they have to do and therefore providing good benefits very much table stake for employers today. What we've seen employers do in the recent years to address the isolation, mental health issues, loneliness, to, to an extent. And some people have been traumatized by the lack of control that has happened through pandemics and people have, have lost um, loved ones as well through it. Uh, and therefore, there's more and more access to the type of benefits that are geared towards that. The problem that we're seeing these days, though, is that very many employers would make those types of benefits available, but the take-up rate... May not be where employers would have expected uh, them to be. So it's a question of continuous engagement, making it available, accessible, uh, easy to consume, sound bites, and and um, we're seeing that when employees do take advantage of types of programs, uh, it really helps.
1: Was there anything that surprised you about
0: the research that you guys had done? Is there any kind of point that really stuck with you? Like, gosh, you know, that's that's really that's really compelling. The one thing that's surprising is on one hand, employer have tons of data. They have claims data. It can be anonymized, but they can see if a location has particular hypertension issues or whatever. And they, they can also look at, uh, I was talking about the usage, the, the take-up rate of certain types of benefits. Um, they can actually dig in to the data and look at where the root cause is, what, what type of population is not accessing as much as they would uh, expect that they should. Having access to all this data, what's surprising is they don't use it.
1: And and what's needed for change? A, get uh, employees to have better take-up. Right, right. But B also get um, employers to sort of better maximize this data that they they have at their fingertips.
0: Yeah, I think it's true. good insight and modeling and utilizing AI and really doing combining this data into consumable analytics. So making it easier, translating this data, and that that's something that we we help doing at Mercer in terms of bar chart, pie chart, it, easy to easy to grasp uh, ten- trends and tendencies and root cause um, so that you can then act more precisely, more th- in a more targeted fashion. So I think it's it's to translate this data. The data exists, but how do you uh, transform it from being just points of data into really in Informative. If um if workplaces aren't able
1: to do this, like let's say the worst case scenario, right? There's nothing moves forward. What happens? What's the risk of that? Um, what what happens to workplaces? What happens to workers if if they aren't able to sort of better uh, optimize, make sure that people are happy, healthy, well, all that?
0: If we don't if we don't work on engagement and take up rate and um well, first of all, of course it's. Offering the benefits, but then the next the next level, then employers get um, to n- drop these programs if they don't see the the return on them. So I think it's important to work on the adoption uh, rates so that the programs can really deliver the benefit that they were intending to build be- to to deliver.
1: Are there particular benefits that uh, maybe employers aren't offering typically? Right? Uh, maybe they've got. They, they know to offer some of the basics if that's, that they should do that. But maybe there's other new ones that they're like, gosh, you know, that would be really that would be really important. Yeah.
0: Well, two things that we see emerging is from the big old employee assistance program that have been existing for years and years that have take up rate of about five to 10 percent. Um, and that's not that we expect 100 percent. Not everybody needs that kind of service. But that is being transformed into much more with technology. Technology enables so such a better customization and personalized experience parents for each and every colleague in in the workplace, that you can really uh, utilize data once again to probe people. Say, oh, this this X Y Z we notice has been high. Have you seen your doctor lately? Or being pulled in, like for uh, I think in terms of COVID, some of these systems or programs were really designed to help you assess your condition and whether you needed to go to hospital or not. And we we know that during COVID, one of the problem was overflow at the hospital level. Yeah. So if you could avoid going there for the right reason within the right context and get some digital nurse supporting you, helping you, easier access, no wait time, etc. We're Seeing those programs evolving uh, very much, and it's quite hand in hand with what we've seen. Again, the pandemic has been extraordinary in terms of evolving uh, the landscape here. But digital, digital access to uh, medical practitioners, whether it's nurses, doctors, again, that's another one where the adoption rate was really low before pandemic. Long, long-term habit are difficult to break. People didn't necessarily trust the system. During the pandemic, they had no choice, and now that the habit has formed and people have. Um, been satisfied and uh, with the experience, they're happy to go back. So we, we have surveys that show that employees, north of 50% of people are saying, I'd rather continue to use a digital health service rather than, at least as a first protocol. And in particular, in remote locations, where people have to long drive waste a day of work these type of things it's so convenient to be able to just have a little corner in the workplace 15 minutes be able to talk to the problem the issue that you're encountering and we see it in, as well as the adoption rate in mental health uh, treatment for example is really high because it enables again easier access and that's important for um, nudging people to to seek help yeah. if it's easier if it's less traumatizing you don't you know in, in small, you can, you can see in remote locations, small towns where, oh, I've seen your car parked. So there's still a bit of trauma associated with talking about mental health issues, et cetera, in some, in some parts. And therefore, digital access enables all of that. There uh, are likely to be some shifts in the economy uh, in the upcoming year. Although it's interesting, I'm 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 keen to, you live and learn, eh? and uh, with the tight labor market that we have, and the, there's still a gap in the U.S., for example, in terms of jobs available and people available to fill them. Um, it's all. It's not always the talent. It's also the skill set. But anyway, yes, you're right. There will likely be some, some movement and shift.
1: How will that impact access to benefits some of these things that we're talking about and also that connection to health and wellness, right?
0: It's interesting to see that it's how employer care and how they proceed and go about these things that makes a big difference. I, I will remember forever early in the pandemic, um, the, the hotel industry, for example, was very impacted, the same as the airlines and um, all the hospitality restaurants. And there was in particular one hotel chain where they had to f- furlough the majority of their employees. But the way they did that with care, with providing them with a basic benefit for at least a few months to, to see them through so that they could turn around and find different solutions. And the way that they approached that really made a difference for people. And of course, when the economy and when the, the your fortune turns around, knowing that your employer cared for you, even though uh, they were hit with very difficult uh Circumstances, I think it makes a big difference in your capacity to hire, to retain, to engage. So that these these things matter. It might make you uh, sort of a little bit better, <laughs> better poised to, to succeed, regardless of where you end up. No, exactly. And and there's different ways to do this. There's different ways to provide that kind of access, or at least lending place in a very decent in in a decent way for people. Human centric leadership. We we often will talk about empathy in economics. Of course we run businesses. We have shareholders and we have stakeholders and we need to provide good, good, good careers on the long run. And therefore you need to manage on the, on the everyday to get there all the time. So it's always the arts and science of short-term, long-term. But the empathy is to really understand that you're working with people and people that have their own ambition, their own purpose, their own drive and and needs and problems and issues. And if you can help them along the way, we see health as tridimensional in a way it's 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 your physical health, which everybody go to when you talk about health, but it's also your well-being and your mental health and your financial health. There's a huge connection between uh, being at least secure, not stressed out and performance at work and ultimately your health. What workplace trends are catching your attention for the year ahead? I think that it's quite a conundrum. We, we've seen it over the last almost 12 months by now, where you have employers who need to shift the skills. And sometimes they do it by upskilling, reskilling. It's possible depending on the type of of skills you need in the future. But sometimes you also need to just shift your base. And therefore, it was this conundrum of hiring at the same time as you were letting go some people. So it's very confusing for uh, people in the organization to see this happening at the same time. But it's this big shift towards uh, different skill sets as we automate, as technology comes uh, in the day-to-day, as we operate in a more digital way, as engineers become (laughs) you. In most companies. And therefore, it's interesting to see that dynamic at the same time as you have the demographic dynamic, tighter labor markets, not only skill shortage, it's also talent shortage.
1: Are there any blind spots that employers have when
0: it comes to hiring in general? Well, that's an excellent question, because there are definitely some. And also, as the digital world is coming to the workplace, as the rapid information, as the tons of data points have come into the workplace, the employers have not all adapted as quickly as would be good for them <laughs> and for their for their employee base. And I would say the, the blind spot, we've we've seen a few many months now of higher attrition. The, we've called some some have called it the great resignation, the great reset, whatever you call it. We've seen elevated rate of people moving, changing jobs, and employers need to adapt to it. rapid recruiting, rapid onboarding. And if you keep to traditional ways of sourcing your talent, onboarding your talent, you'll be totally overwhelmed. So I think there's a blind spot there. Yes, maybe the economic blowdown might help on the attrition side a little bit, but I'm hoping that through the elevated attrition that we have seen over the last many months that we've learned that. That it can be done differently as well. We can be a little bit more on demand in our sourcing, in our on- onboarding, utilizing some digital means to teach you. And, and, and we can use video. We can use all kinds of new means now. it's Technology gives us so much possibilities just to accelerate. Because the flip side of this high attrition were the people who stayed with you. They were overwhelmed in onboarding all these newcomers and being the one who know how the place uh, works. And they had to do their job and train newbies at the same time, constantly, not in a much more rapid pace. And that means lost revenue for employers as well, loss of expertise and therefore slower process, et cetera. So I think that if we can kind have of learned and accelerate an acceleration of that way of working, that's already uh, a, a good thing.
1: Is there a mindset
0: shift that's needed when it comes to identifying who is a candidate for upskilling? I think that's also the shift that we're seeing from jobs to skill. It's a little bit avant gardeist I would say, but it, th- there's definitely a shift to that in recognizing your entire population. So one other blind spot or, or an area that we need to raise awareness and talk about is also longer living and keeping people in the older part of your population, trained and upskilled, you were asking: Is there a, is there a part of the population that's missed, basically? And and we see that people who are over 45, and that's young in my book, but over 45 are much less access to upskilling, retraining. They're not thought of people that need that kind of training. It's more the the, the newcomer, the the more the younger generation. But if you think about keeping people longer in employment, they have experience. You're struggling to find the talent. Pool, they very often are in the culture of the company so making sure that you give them the tools and that you access them as well and and give them the possibility to change and continue to grow and upscale their 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 capabilities and give them different experiences so that's one angle the other angle is this shift of job to skills to think about okay what what are the competencies that i have what are my ambitions what do i enjoy doing where do I see myself as an individual you know we talk a lot about the purpose of the firm and yes it's important to know where we're going collectively at the same time is where is the intersection of that broad purpose to your own your individual purpose where is this intersection and how can we partner up together as employer and employee and i think this contract is shifting and you're looking at well i have a competency on a scale of 10 i might have one on i might be six on a scale of 10 and i really would like to develop in that way what are the projects what are the the tasks or the things that i could do here that I would give me on a seven on a scale at seven all right eight so matching people's ambitions, skill set, and aspiration to the job at hand, rather than having people in fixed job forever. I wanted to ask a little bit about your background. You have a bachelor's in actuarial science. How has that background served you even today? I I think the rigor that comes with the studies of economics, financial, is just the base. So uh, as a business leader, you have to kind of understand numbers in sure. a way that's part of the job you know the economics of empathy and economics the second aspect that actual science would give you I think is an inquisitive mind because why I was attracted to it is I was strong in mathematics I have a logical mind but also creative mind and 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 you have to kind of make sense of the future because that's an, what an actuary does is it makes assumptions scenario plans for the future it gives you a range of possibilities and my, that has come so handy uh, during the multiple crisis that we've been going through because this as a leader, you also need to look at a few scenarios and know which lever to pull depending on what pans out. So we've been talking for at least a year, will there be a recession? Will, will, will there not be a recession? What do you do? When do you do it? So I think the actual training is also very good at assessing a realm of possibilities and navigating in the uncertain, uncertain world. Is there a, um, a question that you ask yourself or a habit you couldn't work without that helps you sort of make sense of the future? Well, connection, uh, I, I think. Um, Uh, in this very complex world where everything's changing all the time it's impossible for one person to have all the answers I mean it's just that's not how it works so for me it's having connections like meeting you today and being here at uh, Davos or I make a point every week of connecting with teams uh, local leaders people at all different levels in the organization clients and always be listening and hearing and trying to make sense of the patterns that you're hearing about to, to craft the right strategy so that you organize yourself to offer the right opportunities and programs and to your employees as well as to your clients and it's putting all of this together all the time, the, the minals. Always moving, always listening, always connecting the dots. <laughs> is there um, a book you recommend? I, I read all the time and there's many, many books in my shelf that I'd love to recommend. I, When there's a new team forming, I love The Advantage, which is a book from Lencioni. I don't know if you've read it about the, how to create functioning, high-performing teams. Because again, and it's not about the one person. It's about multiple talents, diverse talent, coming together and creating uh, solutions that one person or people like-minded would never have come up with, differentiating yourself by this creativity and this, this intersection of differences. So this book is really good about functioning team. During the pandemic, I really enjoyed reading. It was not a, a leadership book, really, but it's called The Splendid in the Vile by Eric Larson, and it's the first year in office of Winston Churchill. And first of all, I was thinking, oh, OK, it's much less worse, <laughs> we'll be, we're going to be fine. Uh, but just the lessons in leadership in that book, was it was really inspiring. What kind of lessons? Re- uh, resilience, grit, faith? Yeah. bounded optimism in yeah. terms of saying, we'll get out of this, we'll get somewhere, we have faith, we have what it takes to get through this, we'll do it together. We don't know if it's tomorrow, or the day after tomorrow, or, or, or in six months, but the bounded optimism that we will prevail, uh, I, I think, was the key lesson. What does resilient leadership mean to you? Well, it means to to be agile, to be able to adapt as you go. It's uh, You have a, a strong purpose, you know, what you're trying to achieve, what you're trying to bring to the world, world and you have a, a pathway to, to go there. We call it at Mercer building blocks. You know, the world doesn't turn on itself every year. The strategies, the trends, the, they shift just enough to be able to adapt yourself and pivot and build on on strong foundation. And that's resilience is being able to take the, the hard hits and having the bounded optimism that, okay. If not this way, then maybe that way. And, and and to bring people along with you as you do that. How can leaders prioritize in the in the, the coming year? What would you recommend? People, I think. You know, if you look at balance sheet of companies from today to fifty years ago, it's completely shifted to intangible, from tangible that was inventory on the shelves or plants and the likes or what was what they were mining from <laughs> from the soil to eighty five percent I think of intangible and balance sheet today is is related to what people bring to the organization. So it's a fact it's, it's, uh, it's how companies are driven today what differentiate them is very much about the talent how they onboard them continue to skill them give them opportunities to learn and grow and impact and therefore um, I think if you look at those priorities is how do you nurture the best talent the most high performing teams the diversity and the value that this brings to an organization we know that when your employees feel cared for secure safe they'll thrive and when they thrive the clients will be well served and the business will go well and the shareholders will get what uh, they invested for.
1: That was Martine Furlong. Thanks to Martine and thanks so much to you for listening. A transcript of this episode and my colleagues' episodes, Radio Davos and the Book Club Podcast, is available at wef.ch slash podcasts. This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me, with Juan Toran as studio engineer, Taz Kelleher as editor, and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.